is checking some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is now playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the now playing DC Comic Movie Series. A golden age of heroes fighting together to defend life on Earth. Hosted by Arnie. What have your powers ever given to you? Nothing but hearty. Stuart. There's no one on this planet that can stop me. And Jacob. I kneel before no one. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, Jim. About as American as it gets. Batman. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Black Adam. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do. Suicide Squad. The hell's wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes would never come again. Fast too. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. Let's go save the world. Today we're discussing Black Adam, starring Dwayne Johnson, Aldous Hodge, Noah Centieno, Sarah Shaw, and Pierce Brosnan, directed by Hame Collette Sarah. This is the now-playing co-host who has no place in the world of man, Arnie. And Stuart. This is Jacob, the co-host who does wind. I don't know why you say you do wind during a meet cute. That sounds like you just <laughs> fart. <laughs> because you're in the DC universe and they've broken wind a few times. Well, that's a superpower. I just fart. I get a major movie. <laughs> we just had a movie about super dogs flying around and peeing in bidets. They're not above it. Welcome back to DC. It feels like forever. I'll be honest. Excluding that animated dog movie, (laughs) I couldn't remember the last time I had seen a DC movie, but it was a year ago with the second Suicide Squad movie. Does the DCEU even exist anymore? I don't know what's going on with Warner Brothers and Discovery. I just hear everything's canceled. But why not this one? (laughs) Well, this one was done by the time that Warner Brothers Discovery had their merger finalized, and it's against the law for Discovery to start changing things until the merger is finalized. So was Batgirl. That's all I'm saying. Batgirl was not done. Oh. Batgirl was half done. Oh, okay. And it does sound like chaos. I did read an article recently about the state of things at Warner Brothers Discovery, and... Walter Hamada had been the president of DC Films and kind of shepherding this and moving away from having a DCEU. You know, Henry Cavill didn't reprise his role in Shazam due to scheduling conflicts, and Hamada was like, we're done with Cavill, we're going to reboot Superman at some point in time, and just kind of moving away from this. And yet the movies in this universe just keep coming out because they were in production. And now Walter Hamada has been unceremoniously removed from his position along with hundreds and hundreds of other people at Warner Brothers. 
And the way it was described is there's a power vacuum around DC, and a number of people are trying to get their visions of DC off the ground, including J.J. Abrams, who apparently has his hat in the ring to help shepherd a new DC universe, going up against Dwayne Johnson, who wants his production company to help shepherd in a new DC universe. So, when this film was made, it seemed like there was a ship, but it was taking on water. And now it feels like the ship has sunk and it's every man for themselves or every project for themselves, at least. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case for this one. My understanding is we only have this because of Dwayne Johnson. Like he super wanted a Black Adam film for some reason. Maybe that's because that's the character he could play the most with his big bulk and and bald head. I'm I'm not sure, but I know from the promotional stuff, this was a passion project of his. Starting back in 2009, Jacob, I mean, that is a long time to be pursuing it and back then he's like you know i may play shazam or i may play black (laughs) adam i don't know i'll play one of the two and apparently his fan base said you need to be black adam and so he researched black adam decided that would be the hero he (laughs) wanted to be exactly he researched black adam because he didn't know who the hell black adam was I mean, you asked, Stuart, who is Black Adam? To me, like, Shazam was a pretty successful film. It's weird they didn't use that to sell this because, to me, you look at their costumes, okay, this is the same Shazam universe. Like, they have the same costume. One's red, one's black. And that is indeed the origins of Black Adam. He was like the nemesis for Captain Marvel, as he was called in the 40s when it was under Fawcett Comics. He was a former Shazam that went bad. And so, yeah, he... he he became like this anti-hero like because you can never like glorify like just straight up murderers so eventually like he's been on the justice society but he's willing to kill he's willing to take those extreme measures he's played that line of villain and hero but he would be considered an anti-hero all the comics i've read with him he's the anti-hero he's doing good things but he's doing them bad ways like the punisher or venom or something yeah punisher venom exactly I don't know much about Black Adam, so I'm coming in here pretty much a blank slate as well. I didn't know much other than The Rock. I mean, he's doing a hell of a lot of movies, some good, some bad. What are the good ones? I think the last good one he had, unless there's an obvious one I'm forgetting, was probably the first Jumanji remake he did. Okay. Unless you want to count that Fast and Furious spinoff. Like, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I think when he gets into franchises, he does very well. I think when he does solo films, not so good. That Skyscraper one wasn't very good. Rampage was lousy. The one he did with this director, Jungle Cruise, that Disney thing, awful. Yeah, The Rock is a puzzler because he keeps getting billed as the biggest movie star on the planet. And it just makes me think nobody's watching movies anymore (laughs) because the stuff that he makes always looks like B and C string. And I don't see any of them except when Now Playing says we're covering a franchise he's in. Which is so weird because he has charm. He has charisma. He's like an Arnold that's more likable, but he doesn't have a T2. He doesn't have like a huge film to sell him, but it's so weird. Like, yeah, he feels like the biggest thing, but then his movies are never the biggest thing. Mm hmm. At least in this country. My sense is he's bigger abroad, and maybe that's why they put him in this Middle Eastern scenario for this character. It feels like this is a stretch. You're right. When I think of The Rock, I think maybe he can give you that stink eye. He can cock that eyebrow and ask you what's cooking. But for the most part, he is all grins. He's charming. 
And this is a stretch to say he's going to glower, he's an anti-hero, he's a bully. Well, remember, he was the bad guy in Doom. He's tried this before. Yeah, he was the bad guy in The Mummy Returns, the Scorpion King. (laughs) And kind of a bad guy in Red Notice, but not to spoil that film. Oh, that's bad. Didn't see it. (laughs) And again, until you said the word Doom, I was like, he was in Dune? Oh, wait, yeah. No, I, I forgot I saw that movie. Again, like, his work is so disposable. I really think you're right, Jacob. He is Arnold if Arnold only made Raw Deal. Yeah. Where is the hit? Where is the thing that people love him for? It's not Baywatch. It's not any of these things that they push all the time. And so maybe it will be Black Adam, but it feels like a strange match of like, I could see him playing Superman before I can see him playing anti-Superman. Yeah, we'll talk about his performance, but it's so weird watching him trying to go dark. It is. I mean, we will talk about it, but he barely cracks a smile this entire film. It does seem unlike him. And this director is an unknown quantity as well. You're right. He made Jungle Cruise. Didn't see it. He made a shark movie called The Shallows. Didn't see it. He made a horror movie about a killer kid called Orphan. Didn't see it. He killed (laughs) Paris Hilton in House of Wax. Didn't see it. He made a bunch of those Liam Neeson things. I didn't see. Don't know him. I saw House of Wax. Awful. I saw Nonstop and Unknown and The Commuter. What can I say? I'm a sucker for a Liam Neeson low-rent film. Yeah, these are like geriatric Liam Neeson films. Like, this is like when he's way too old now. Some of them are better than others. I thought The Commuter was pretty good. And then I did see Jungle Cruise and... Yeah, that's a not recommend, but apparently he and The Rock got on well during Jungle Cruise, and it was Dwayne Johnson who got him this gig. Is this going to be a hit? I feel like, again, I'm not a Rock fan. I wasn't anticipating this. I'm not even a superhero fan. DC has fallen off my radar. I barely knew this was coming. It feels like a strange time to... This was supposed to be a summer movie that they pushed to October. I'm thinking of scary films right now. That they're throwing it out here. I haven't seen any tie-ins. The one headline I did see, it's like, Friday box office for Black Adam. The highest Friday for a... Where it's just The Rock headlining. Not Fast and Furious. Not like any of his... Like, they really had to parse out his film (laughs) to say this was the top grossing Friday one of his. It's supposed to make 50 or 60 million. That's kind of middling for a superhero film coming from one of the two major studios. The reason it got pushed, though, and the reason Flash got pushed, the reason Aquaman got pushed. Ezra Miller like turned out to be a psycho? No. The visual effects companies were overworked. This is something that you hear a lot and they would have had to rush and probably this movie would have ended up looking like Black Panther. And so Warner Brothers decided to let the visual effects companies have the time they needed to really polish these films instead of trying to hold to a release date. So for that, I actually applaud them. I feel bad for the enslaved visual effects people who I just picture working underneath an overlord who has a whip and that you're able to put out a film that you want to look quality and not rush it due to a date. I mean, maybe this is a Halloween film. Another big part of the marketing was like, oh, we had to cut down the kills to get our PG-13 rating. This movie is so violent. These are the things I guess they're trying to sell our superhero on. Come see a super violent killer Superman. I mean, we already have the boys on Amazon if you want that, but that's, I guess, what appeals to the kids, violence. And to be fair, DC did do that last year. The Suicide Squad, it was R-rated. It did feel a little bit harder edge than anything we get in Marvel. That seems to be 
Joker, you know, like that seems to be a brand that they can play into. We go to an extreme that our more popular competition won't. Even Venom, which tried to be the killer Marvel superhero, really felt like they were backing away from that. And every time he killed, it felt more awkward than anything because of the PG-13 rating. Here, this is a differentiator. It's hard to stand out in the world of superhero films now, right? Especially when you're the third Superman to have a film. I mean, we had Superman and then we had Shazam. Here we have the third person with the same power set pretty much. Throw in some lightning. How do you differentiate yourself at all? How do you get people to look at this film? I guess that's the one thing they had is that he is murderous. Were there people looking at your film? I went on a Friday afternoon in IMAX, and I couldn't say there was more than 15 people in the audience. With families, I will say that. It, they did bring youngsters, but didn't seem like a particularly big crowd for one of these things. Yeah, the theater I go to, because most of them are AMCs now, which charge 23 bucks for a single ticket, non-IMAX, non-nothing, so I don't go to AMC, because that's ridiculous. I go to the old school theater without the stadium seating, it never gets that many people, but I did look, like, if I went to go book a ticket at AMC, they looked pretty full, like, at the popular movie theaters. I went Thursday night to a mostly empty Dolby Atmos showing, and then I went back Friday night. I decided I'd go ahead give this one a second go and that one was far more full it was probably half full in just a regular theater setting okay so maybe underperforming or doing what rock movies do in america yeah, it's performing like I would imagine a Black Adam film performing. Mm -hmm. That is the thing with DC. They do not have that Marvel magic where like Guardians of the Galaxy, a raccoon in a tree. No one's going to see that. And then it becomes the biggest thing. Like whatever stupid idea Marvel comes up with, they somehow make it work in the theaters. I Except Eternals. Well, yeah. Okay. Th there's their one flaw out of like 30 films. DC <laughs> does not have that magic yet. Yeah, DC has largely coasted, I think, on having name-recognizable characters that I knew long before they ever had these big movies. And Black Adam, yes, I don't know who that is that does make it a tougher draw. I, you say he's wearing the same outfit as Shazam. I didn't even notice that until you pointed it out, until this movie does. This, honestly, is a movie I had no anticipation for. I don't know Black Adam. I'm far less knowledgeable about the DC Universe. If they weren't on Super Friends, I'm really unfamiliar with them. Agreed. And, you know, even without now playing, I made it a point to see every superhero movie, mostly in theaters. It was a small minority of films that I would let go by the wayside, and it was due to a lot of disinterest. Sometimes it was not superheroes from the main companies, like... Blank Man or Hancock, I wouldn't go see my super ex-girlfriend, but sometimes they'd be more name recognition films that just didn't look so interesting, like Elektra, and truthfully, were it not for now playing, I would have watched Black Adam on video, I would not have gone to see it in theaters. I only saw one trailer for this, and oh boy, that trailer, like, Hawkman? Dr. Fate? Like, <laughs> this all of a sudden feels like one of the CW shows, because I know they go deep with their roster there. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, it didn't sell the movie to me. Like, Adam Smasher? Who wants to see Adam Smasher? But I'm like, okay, like, this feels like what DC has to do. Like, just throw in as many characters, because they can't figure out how to get a movie universe going. 
I had the same thought as well. Not that I really know the CW shows, but there was something about the supporting cast here. I was really getting that vibe. Yeah, I think Dr. Fate has even shown up on the Flash TV show. And I know Hawkman is somewhere in that universe, too. I think he was on Arrow, yeah. Well, why don't you help everyone then? Arnie, give them the plot. Tell them who these characters are. We can find out if we like Black Adam. In the country of Kendak, 5,000 years ago, ruled tyrannical king Akton. He enslaved his own people to mine for the rare mineral Eternium. From that Eternium, Akton was to make the mythical crown of Sabak, which, when infused with the powers of the six demons of the ancient world, would make Akton invincible. In all of Kendak, only one was brave enough to stand against the king, and it was a young boy. So Akton had the boy executed. At the moment of his death, though, the Council of Wizards gave the boy the power of Shazam. He is super strong, invulnerable, can fly, and can shoot lightning from his hands. The king then attacked the boy's family, mortally injuring the boy's father, Teth Adam, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. To save his father, the boy transferred the power of Shazam. The king's troops seized this opportunity and killed the boy. In a rage, Teth Adam used the power of Shazam to exact revenge and kill the king and all his troops. The wizards, realizing a dangerous person has the power of Shazam, imprison Teth Adam. And that data dumps about the first ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter, it's all lies. <laughs> That's actually most of the movie. The rest of it's just like, can we put him in a water bottle or not? Now it's 5,000 years later, and Kandak is occupied by a group of international mercenaries called the Intergang. An archaeologist named Adriana believe she knows where the crown of Sabak is hidden, and she wants to get it before the Intergang does. She goes with her brother Kareem and her friend Ishmael to get the crown. But Ishmael is a traitor, a leader of Intergang, and once the crown is retrieved, he calls in the troops to take it. Adriana sees an inscription on the ground telling her to say, Shazam, to call back Teth Adam. She does, and Teth Adam returns, using his power to kill the attacking Intergang army. But Teth Adam has no desire to be a hero or to liberate Kandak from Intergang. Despite the pleas of Adriana or her son, Amon, Teth Adam only wants to mourn his son and the lost nation of Kandak. Meanwhile, Teth Adam's awakening grabbed the attention of Amanda Waller, again played by Viola Davis. The glue that holds the DCEU together. <laughs> Amanda contacts Hawkman Carter Hall, the leader of the Justice Society, to capture the loose cannon. Hawkman calls in magic sightseer Dr. Fate, played by Pierce Brosnan, the giant Atom Smasher, and young Cyclone, and the four heroes go to Kandak and fight Teth Adam, but it's a stalemate. Led by Ishmael, Intergang kidnaps Amon and takes the crown. Teth Adam has developed an affection for the boy and, aided by the Justice Society, goes to rescue him, but in his rage, Adam loses control of his powers and kills everyone around, including Ishmael. But that was part of Ishmael's plan all along. He had to die to be resurrected by the six demons and given the power of the crown. He arises as the unstoppable demon Sabak. But this is unknown to Adam and the Justice Society. Due to his loss of control, Adam changes back into his human form and is taken to a prison designed by Amanda Waller, put in suspended animation, unable to speak and restore his magical powers. 
Once the Justice Society realizes Sabak is here and creating destruction in Kandak, Dr. Fate sacrifices himself to stall the demon while simultaneously using his power of projection to free Teth Adam from his prison. Teth Adam again calls upon the power of Shazam, and, aided by Hawkman, Adam kills Sabak. Teth Adam takes on the name Black Adam and stays in Kandak to be its own superhero. Amanda Waller sends a message to Adam, warning him not to leave Kandak. Adam rejects Waller's warning. So Superman, played by Henry Cavill, arrives to have words with Black Adam as credits roll. Words, words, words. So many words at the beginning. Even before the beginning, I noticed there's a New Line Cinema production logo. Has that happened with the DC movie before? Why is that here? I know you call it the House of Freddy. I do associate it with horror films, even though it's also Lord of the Rings. But I was surprised to see New Line Cinema involved. In 2006, before Warner Brothers bought New Line Cinema, New Line Cinema had the rights to Black Adam and began production of a Black Adam film. So you take that fact and roll it down a hill and building it like a snowball, New Line Cinema is still an entity inside of Discovery Warner and gets a credit here, which I found odd. But... The word, Stuart, this is the reason I went and saw this movie twice. I felt like I had to transcribe the sequence of so much. So much exposition. (laughs) Obviously, they had a problem here. Obviously, this is like recut and condensed and we got to make it fit the movie format. We've got to get the Black Adam by minute 16. But there's so much to get through that you just end up, yeah, word salading. I mean, I get it. You don't have to understand every word. Basically, this is the DC Universe's Wakanda, right? Like, before any civilization, this was the super civilization. This is where it was at. And then it was taken over by a tyrant. Yeah, I definitely got Wakanda vibes, Black Panther vibes from this. They'll talk a lot about colonialism. I don't know if they ever resolve anything about it, but they'll talk about it. But yeah, I wonder if this is meta-commentary on the history of Black Adam and so many of the characters, the Justice Society that we'll talk about in this is like, they all come from the 40s when comics didn't know what they were doing. So they all have like 17 different origin stories because they just have to keep updating them and changing them. So like, I feel like Black Adam, here is his first origin story. We're going to get a few more as we go on is this true to the comics though is Kandak a country from the comics is this how black adam was begun with his son and all of that so Kandak is definitely from the comics like yes and black adam like rules over it i've read those comics and i might have missed some origin story my understanding is that the modern version of black adam is basically he was an original shazam like he was the son of a pharaoh actually not a slave and the wizards gave him instead of greek gods they were all named after egyptian gods and they gave him those powers and he kind of went mad with those powers he didn't live up to his wizardly ways that he should have and and went dark, and so, yeah, he went rogue and became an anti-hero. So, they have some stuff, like, from the comics, Kandak and Egypt and all that, but I feel like maybe The Rock's putting his own spin on it here. I welcome that. I don't think that literal translations of any literary source is required. Yeah, what I get is that this was a, maybe the first true civilization to thrive, and then it was enslaved. It does well because it's the only place that has this Eternium, is that 
what I'm supposed to figure out here. Yeah, is that vibranium? <laughs> right. That's I was like, wow, this many, many times throughout this. Part of my confusion is I kept getting it confused with the Marvel Universe. And I was like, oh, haven't I seen this already? Oh, wait, different series. I think that's on purpose. Like, I really do, because I was having that same thing as I was watching this. I'm like, this feels very Marvel. I mean, that's the thing to lean into if you're a superhero movie. Those are the successful ones. Right. Okay, so the leader, this bad guy, King Octon, is going to take this Eternium and make a crown that makes him immortal. The crown of Sabacc, which confused the hell out of me, because I thought Sabacc was the card game from Star Wars that was in the Solo movie. I'm like... (laughs) Is Sabak something else? Is that a real word that they're used for a card game? Probably. I mean, (laughs) we're no etymologist. I couldn't tell you origins of words, but it sounds like a Middle Eastern word that probably has some other meaning than a Star Wars reference. And I think this is a Shazam tie-in. I remember there being demons of some sort. I didn't go back and watch that original Shazam, but this crown, yeah, it's the six demons of the ancient world that will make you all powerful. I feel like they're trying to tie into that mythology they set up with Shazam. A little bit. That one had, like, the demons of fear and gluttony and lust and all of that going on. So these are different demons. Okay. Yeah, these are different demons. But this feels more like the bad guy, right? If Shazam's powers are magical, he's not getting them from the yellow sun, he's getting them from magic, then the bad guys usually have some kind of magic as well from... What I know of the stories. And yes, so this magical crown is going to be our MacGuffin in the film. They need a big piece of the Eternium, and this poor old guy finds it. The other enslaved people are going to beat him up. And we get the idea that little Harut is a hero. And God, there's so much dialogue about heroes and the meanings of heroes and whether these people need heroes or they just need to rule themselves. It's called themes, Stuart. Don't you like themes? (laughs) (laughs) I I do like themes. I really do. But I like them to be finessed. (laughs) It's really, really ugly the way that this is uh, inserting all of this. It's clumsy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This lazy. Okay. So this child defends this old man. He goes to get his reward. Like in true, like hilarious bad guy fashion. I'll give you a reward. Stabs him, throws him over the cliff. Why everyone is still digging at this point, I don't know. (laughs) That would be mutiny. Like, clearly, if we're all going to die anyway, why don't we just take out as many guards as we can? But instead, the child's the hero because he does the Lion King thing of standing on the hill. Instead of holding up Simba, he holds up this blue stone and that makes him cool. Which, of course, is going to get him killed next, and that's why he is given the power of Shazam by the wizards, which seems like a good choice, better than Billy Batson from Shazam. Yeah, we're still in the exposition prologue here. He's going to Shazam up and take on that king. We know there's a mysterious explosion. Like I'm like, okay, they don't want to tell us what happened to Shazam or the crown. That's definitely coming back. And yeah, just boom, and then we're going to go to present day. Yeah, cutting to the exterior shot, just as it looks like Dwayne Johnson is showing up, tells us there's a mystery, that we aren't to assume everything we've been told is the way that it happened. I missed that the first time. I figured it was pretty straightforward. I wasn't expecting a mystery. I figured, much like Shazam, this little boy became Black Adam. I mean, they do a good job of hiding the fact that it's The Rock playing the father. He's all hunched over. They keep his face away from from the camera. 
I think they just put his face on a body, right? Because that dad is super skinny. <laughs> yeah, they CGI. Yeah, there's another actor. There's a scrawny guy that they later, I don't even think in these early shots, they used Dwayne Johnson. So it's not like you could figure it out. Yeah, they deep fake it later on. But for now, you don't know it's him. So I thought it was this kid. And they said that the champion will return when needed. I thought that was a little bit odd. But I was still going with this opening, taking it for what it was. I wasn't expecting a huge switcheroo. Mm, okay. Uh, anyway, we jump to modern Kandak, and uh, yes, what's irritating is supposedly this kid is so renowned they built giant statues to him and freed him, but in fact, they never were free, and they've just been enslaved by different societies throughout time, the latest being Intergang, which I gotta say, get a better name. Like, if you're the Intergang, nobody respects you. They're the opposite of Interpol. If you have international police, you can have an international <laughs> gang. If you're a gang, that has negative connotations. I really believe the world would turn against a gang taking over a country. That is part of the problem with that people have from Kandak with the rest of the superheroes is they're like, yeah, why don't they ever come save us? They save everyone else. But like you have this one little country where Superman won't go or Batman won't go, Wonder Woman won't go to save them. And I didn't take it that Intergang was a single body. The way they say it is groups of international mercenaries. So I kind of think Intergang is like what the media may refer to these groups as but not that it's one organized body, which makes it harder for a superhero to come and rout. Perhaps, but let's really talk about the real world politics of this. This is the Middle East and Hollywood is terrified of it. No one can tell stories in the Middle East because of the complicated political dynamics there. It's not clean. It will end up offending large groups of people and polarize and challenge box office. So we have... White guys with British accents that aren't a part of England or America or any identifiable place. And yes, they're just generic bad guys that are oppressive. And we're going with that. What I do like about Inner Gang, and I'm trying to think back on the, I mean, yes, Batman has like futuristic stuff, but they have like these speeder bikes from Star Wars. Like, I don't know, Inner Gang seems kind of cool. They have like future tech. I like the sci-fi element there. I'm wondering... Why is it that the DC Universe, the Justice League, even the Justice Society as it's rebranded itself, why don't they go into this place? We only get just a little hint at this, but my only guess is it's because Eternium is used to power the world. That the weapons that we're going to see, probably these flying bikes, like oil... The world would not be able to operate if it didn't exploit the natural resource of this country. Is Intergang in the comics or anything that might explain a little of this? Oh, yeah. I mean, Intergang, like this kind of feels like the story from the series called 52, where it's about Black Adam going back to Kandak and like taking out Intergang, who rules it so he could then rule the city and bring peace to it. Inner gang is the international countries that gang up on the Middle East and take its oil reserves. That's the perception that this movie projects, is that it has enslaved a country by their thirst for Eternium. That's all I can go with. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense why this country has been allowed to be oppressed the way that it has. That is the question for me, because it seems like after... 
Black Adam showed up 5,000 years ago, like, that would get you motivated, like, yeah, let's go, let's get our freedom and democracy, all that stuff, but they have, I think we're told they've been enslaved, like, this entire time. It's like, Wakanda got its vibranium, and then the white people came in and just took over the country. Like, it doesn't seem like they've been empowered at all, having this, you know, they build a giant statue to Black Adam, but it doesn't seem to really motivate them to do anything. Again, this is probably the most interesting topical stuff in the movie, and they undersell it because of the scariness of real-world politics. They don't want to offend any particular region of the world because they want this to play globally. It would be nice to know, though. And the whole city is under lockdown. You have checkpoints. And for reasons that are not clear to me, the college professor, Adriana, is wanted for questioning because she read some books and knows where this crown is. And hilariously, you don't even have to dig for it. It's like a (laughs) clean passageway you'd experience at Disney World with some uh, writings on the wall and a floating crown at the end of the hall. But because she's the only one that knows, they've got to smuggle her out. They're smuggling her in. This entire movie is her fault. She knows where the crown was hidden. The crown was hidden by the Council of Wizards. She figured it out. Through a book, right? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, she's a professor. It's mentioned that she teaches college classes, so I assume she opened some books. And so she now thinks that she has to get the crown and give it a better hiding place than this completely hidden thing that nobody's found for 5,000 years. Nobody knows where it is. I must find it and then hide it. Is anybody even looking for it if it wasn't for her? (laughs) Well, we see this big mining camp. I guess they're looking for Eternium, but I I assumed, I'm like, maybe they're looking for the crown too. It feels weird when you have wizards, like they just hide it in a rock on Earth. Like, put it in a different realm, put it on a different planet if it's so dangerous. Why are you keeping it on Earth? I totally agree with all that has just been said. (laughs) It's a really bogus way of setting up this conflict. And I do think, without going into it, we're to think that that dig site that is nearby is hunting for it. I mean, if this crown is in fact made of Eternium, then yes, it's part of what they most desire. If you accept the idea that the world runs on Eternium, which is, again, just my working theory. Yeah, they don't establish that. That is an assumption. (laughs) Yeah, I think only intergang stuff works on Eternium because assuming this is part of an entire universe of movies and we have no reason to believe it's not, the stuff we've seen in the rest of the world is normal. Americans aren't driving flying bikes run on Eternium. Yeah, and again, they're not going to make that parallel too cleanly because they're not trying to make audiences in America offended by this presumption. But are you guys grooving? Like, this is Gen X music, right? They got, as we're introduced to the son of Adrian and everything, we got Smashing Pumpkins playing? Like, that was weird. That felt like a real throwback to high school. So The Rock is, like, what, $25 million a movie? This is the only reason I can explain why everyone else feels like TV actors and the songs <laughs> are all 30 and 40 years old. Yeah, we'll have Rolling Stones <laughs> later. Yeah, I, yeah. Baby Come Back. I mean, it's really like, woof, you just saved yourself a lot of money, didn't you? I mean, it helps for me because... Because if it was like, I don't even know who the new people are, but, you know, if it was some TikTok star, I would have no idea what it is. There's some new music in this film that comes in a little bit later, some... There's an Imagine Dragons ripoff at the end credits. That's all I heard. In the middle of the movie, when Black Adam's killing people, there's some rap rock kind of thing. Yeah, it's Kanye and Jay-Z. They use that in the trailer. Yeah, and, and that song is 12 years old. Okay. 
news to me. 12 year old music is still new to me, though. Like, that's how old I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still try to keep up with the music scene. I'm just saying it feels like this production cut corners. Or was it developed 15 years ago, like Arnie said, yeah. and they just kept that script and everything they had licensed <laughs> for it? I will give this compliment. If they gave the special effects artists more time to work on this, I think the strength of this movie, the thing that I find the freshest about it all, is this Middle Eastern location. There hasn't been, outside of Iron Man 1, too many superhero movies that go to the Middle East. And this look, this vibe feels authentic and cool to be in. And my disappointment is that we don't explore more of Kendak. I think it's a cool place to have a movie. I agree. I thought we were going to get a lot more politics. There's so much stuff at the beginning here about colonialism and throwing off our oppressors. And so I thought that was going to be a major thing. I guess that's Black Adam too. They spent so much time on that. You could say, oh, we don't want a movie to get into politics. Then don't introduce it so heavily in the beginning. But I think you have to for a movie like this, if you're going to set it in a country somewhere in the Middle East, like you got to touch on that or else it would just feel totally foreign. For as much backstory as we're given in this first 15 minutes, we're given a half-baked origin story for a really cool environment to hold a superhero conflict. And a half-baked superhero conflict at that. Because, again, she's going to get into that cave and do some Laura Croft kind of jump because the crown's just hanging there, suspended in midair. If you get into the cave, there's absolutely no problem finding this crown. And, of course, her friend Ishmael is an intergang leader, I'd like to know more about her relationship with Ishmael, that she doesn't know this. It was pretty obvious. While they're driving there, she's clutching her necklace made of Eternium. And he's like, oh, where did you get that? And does it have magic? No, that's the other guy. It's a fake out. Samir? Yeah, that was him. Oh. And then what? you're supposed to think he's the bad guy so that when he dies, you didn't realize, oh, God, it was Ishmael all along. No, I didn't ever suspect Samir, but I did suspect Ishmael when they're like, we're Samir. I don't know. He went out for a smoke. He couldn't handle being in this cave. I'm like, okay, he's the bad guy. He had him killed. It's kind of hard. Again, we're learning so much about these characters. I mean, it took me a while to realize the kid on the skateboard was actually her son. Like, I, that didn't wasn't clear to me until much later when they're hanging out together. I caught on the second viewing, she calls him son once. And so if you don't catch that single word in a noisy scene, in an accent then you are lost for a while. I'll be honest, because I didn't know these actors, I just assumed that these were kind of like extras that would excavate the rock and then disappear from the story. I didn't realize that it was their story that would be dramatized meeting Black Adam. So they weren't all family because the driver of this van, Karam, he's the brother of Adriana. So I just assume like they're all family, but I guess Ishmael and Samir, they're, I don't know, adjunct professors at with the university? Yeah, <laughs> Her intern. I, yeah, exactly. For as much as they spend on backstory, relationships are really unclean here. But you get the gist of it. Uh, you know, it's not like this movie's confusing. Bad guy, good guy, magic crown. The basics are clear. The detail work is not a forte of DC Universe. And can we just say this Council of Wizards just aren't the brightest? I mean, not only do they leave the crown hanging there... But they have imprisoned Teth Adam underground. 
And yet they put an inscription on the top that says exactly how to release him from his prison, including apparently writing the word Shazam right there. Maybe they only sentenced him to 6,000 years. They wanted someone to release him eventually. I don't know. It's like me keeping the password to my computer in a post-it note on my computer. Okay, that's most of America, so those (laughs) wizards are right in line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and password is password. (laughs) <laughs> one two three come on you got to make it safe gotta okay. have some numbers in there capital p exclamation point <laughs> so yes all right for contrivances we are finally delivered the title character 16 minute mark we get dwayne johnson in a cloak glowering and i don't feel like he wears it well i do like dwayne johnson even though i don't like dwayne johnson movies And this seems to be working against him, that he's supposed to be hard as nails, no personality, killing machine. Yeah, I mean, he starts off by melting a guy. Could he have played the Terminator? I don't think so. That seems to be the mission here, is if he's the new Arnold, this will be his Terminator, and he's just gonna, like, weigh lace to everyone. I'm not scared of him. I guess that is the problem. Whether that's a directorial problem or a performance problem, I don't find Black Adam scary. Here's my issue, is that you say it takes 16 minutes to get The Rock here. It feels like now we have a 16-minute scene of him just murdering people to the Rolling Stones, paint it black. It goes on a long time, and I feel like they want this to be Deadpool. Like, isn't this ultra-violence super funny? The problem is The Rock is not Ryan Reynolds. He's playing it with a frown on his face instead of a smile, which totally changes the tone. It's almost like, hey, isn't all this murder super cool? Like, wouldn't it be cool to murder lots of people like Black Adam instead of like, oh, this is funny, I'm getting dick jokes while someone's head is cut off. Like, it feels like they got the formula wrong, but they were going for some kind of Deadpool-type thing by having this violence go on so long and be pretty extreme at times. They try to be a Marvel movie here in that throughout this entire movie, there are jokes. Yeah. But I feel like there are jokes written by Black Adam because I'm looking at them and I feel like Black Adam like, oh, humor. None of them are actually funny. And I think that's the case with this Black Adam scene where he's putting bombs in people's mouths and redirecting missiles. That said, it looks very cool. It's like Zack Snyder without the Zack Snyder-ish with all of the slow-mo going on and everything. We've seen that so many times now. That's the Quicksilver move. That's the Flash move. I've seen at least five superhero movies where we have the character being able to contemplate things happening at lightning speed in slow motion to a cool rock song. It's not as cool as Quicksilver. And The Rock, the way he's moving here, I thought he was like in some kind of trance. I thought he wasn't even awake yet. I thought he was doing this on autopilot based on his facial expression. But I'm enjoying the style of the superhero violence going on here. I like the look of this film in general and this scene in particular. It's a good-looking movie. I guess this is the conflict for me. Yes, it is good-looking. It's stylish. I'm kind of enjoying it. I find it kind of awful, though. It's like, yes, we're just going to murder people because I guess that's the debate of this film or the debate the film pretends to have is like, should we just murder our enemies? But at the same time, Stuart, you said it, like we've seen this before and I don't want to damn this film because it's trying to do something and we have now decades of superhero films to reference. And so like, what do you do new at this point? 
point. Like when you have super fast people and lightning, like we've seen Thor, we've seen Quicksilver, we've seen all that. So I feel like at this point, it's inevitable that we're going to retread a lot of the visual styles from the past now. Mm -hmm. What feels fresh is the fact that it's happening in a Middle Eastern conflict built around the idea that there's this rare commodity that the world wants. That feels to me like the thing that they can go to that would make it new. The idea that it's supposedly violent. This movie is PG-13, right? Yes. Like, it's not even as violent as Suicide Squad last year. So that argument, the idea that this is a scary, nihilistic will kill you in a blink character doesn't feel true because I don't feel like he's a threat to the characters we're asked to like. And in fact, in this scene, Adriana is almost crushed by a falling debris and this rock's coming at her and he saves her. From that moment on, she knows and we all know that this is the cuddly rock that would never hurt you, not the Terminator. But she's super scared when he like walks up to the side of the van and they try to do the joke where she rolls the window up trying to ignore... Ah, humor. Like, I understand they're trying to do humor, but none of it works for me. (laughs) There are a couple jokes I laugh at, but it's few. Wow, I didn't laugh once in this film and I tried. I really tried. When the electrician's told he's going to die by electricity and he's like, but I'm an electrician, like that got a chuckle out of me. I would say in general, the audience, small though it was, did not laugh at all. It was a very quiet audience. I don't feel like, beyond it working for me, I'm a tough sell on this stuff, but it wasn't playing. This crowd was not enjoying themselves when they tried to do the sarcasm. Yeah, there were a few chuckles in the crowd throughout the film, but it was not like your typical Marvel film, like Deadpool or something, where it's uproarious laughter the whole time. Yeah. And again, Deadpool is what now, six or seven years old? I mean, I know it's hard to innovate, but given the sheer quantity of superhero content we get everywhere on television and in movies... If you're paying the rock top dollar, you better have some money left over for the script. And unfortunately, this is being written by the guy who did Rampage and Scoob and one of the Chipmunk movies. Oh, no. Well, it's being rewritten by him. <laughs> Got It had a lot of writers before then. Mm-hmm. And it was a writing team of Rory Haynes and Sorab Noshishirvani. Those two really shepherded this until the final moment, which is the only reason why I can understand that Black Adam gets injured here. He makes one vehicle explode and he looks down and sees that he is bleeding. The Eternium actually has the power to hurt Black Adam, which means later on, Black Adam's going to be like almost defeated, right? We have his kryptonite. It's this Eternium. No, we're never going to get that moment. That is the crazy thing. Is Yeah, they shoot this rocket at him. He catches it. You see the Eternium in there. You know it's his kryptonite because it destroys his cape. Like, I felt like they really wanted to get rid of his cape in this film. So that Eternium, like, melts his cape. It hurts him. He's been injured. And so, yeah, the inner gang's going to have Eternium bullets at the end of this. Nope, nope, we're never going back to Eternium. One thing that I can't get out of my mind is The Rock puts it in his contract that he can't lose a fight. He can't look weak. It is his brand. It is what he protects the most. That's why when he fights Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel has the same thing in his contract. Every blow is matched with another blow, and it always ends in a stalemate because these two have their ego and their brand, and they do not want to tarnish it for the sake of 
character and stakes and plot. Maybe 15 years ago when The Rock made this contract, he's willing to get punched. I don't think so. And I think that's why a lot of decisions in this movie are made the way they are made. And so, yes, it undercuts a lot that right here from the beginning, I think the first time I watch it, that, yes, Black Adam can be hurt. But the rest of the movie, it really robs it of stakes to know that Black Adam is literally invincible. We've seen Shazam lose. We've seen Superman lose. But Black Adam is stronger than them both because he will not lose. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that the character feels pitched wrong. There should be no laughter. There should be no sarcasm or jokes. He should be scary as hell. We should be feeling what Kareem and Adriana are feeling when his body falls in front of them. Like, oh my God, what do we do? I think... Instead, they cling to this whole notion, and it keeps coming up in dialogue again and again, they found their hero. That from this point forward, they're trying to resuscitate a hero and have him save their enslaved city. That, to me, is far more boring than the idea that we have a scary superhero killer. Yeah, it feels off that, okay, you're setting this in the Middle East, There is this stereotype, oh, they're violent terrorists, and then you're going to make their hero a super violent guy. Like, it just feels a little off to me. Like, they didn't quite get the actual real-world politics and how it might play to people. They're trying. I want to give them that. They're trying. Oh, they're trying to avoid all of that. They're walking a minefield, and they're doing everything they can not to piss anybody off, which, by the way, is impossible to do if you're going to talk about the Middle East. Yeah, just when your superhero blows people up with lightning and a lot of people, you know, go, oh, suicide bomber. I don't know. It could play weird, especially when you have have the white people fly in, the colonials fly in to stop them. Yeah, the Justice Society, are they like the West Coast Avengers of the Justice League? Not West Coast. They're Louisiana. Well, no, I understand that, but the West Coast Avengers are actually a B-team of Avengers from the Marvel Universe. Yeah, they're the geriatric Avengers. Here's the thing, Stuart, you're saying they're rebranding the Justice League. No, Justice Society of America was its own thing. I think it might have even come out before the Justice League, and it's typically associated with the old 40s characters. Like, you think of Green Lantern before he met the alien when he just had a magic lamp, and that's how he got his powers, or the Flash wore, like, a pan on his head because he was, like, the god Mercury. (laughs) All those old legacy characters, and then, like, their great-grandkids, they get to join the Justice Society where they inherit the powers. Like, we'll talk about this team, but it's a lot of inheriting powers and just really old comic book characters where they had kind of weird, silly origins, and they made them a team. I mean, Amanda Waller looks concerned. She's like, are you sure you got this? She's calling (laughs) in to Carter's house and is like, who you got? Like, tell me who's on your team. And I'd be worried, too. I mean, these do not look like heroes. Well, here's the thing. I thought the joke was they're going to put together a suicide squad and they're all going to die against Black Adam. And then we'd get that Dr. Fate and those characters I saw in the trailer because Amanda Waller, that's who we've seen her deal with is the suicide squad. And yeah, the fact that we have Carter here, I'm not associating him with Hawkman until he turns around and looks at his armor. I'm like, okay, this is Hawkman. This is not a suicide squad joke they're going to do. Yeah. All right. First and foremost, again, all of these people are TV actors. I do know... Hawkman, Carter Hall, Aldous Hodge. He's on a show I watch called City on a Hill. It's a Boston crime show. Little scene. I don't feel like many people even know that show. The fact that he is going to be leading this team feels like a lack of star power, right? They needed somebody else. You don't have Hawkman. Like, no one likes Hawkman. Why is he here? You have him, yeah, in the background. 
And then Adam Smasher, who was on a freeform series about foster children. Again, it feels very soft and cute the way that they're going to have him like getting a suit from Henry Winkler and trying to prove himself on his first mission. Henry Winkler was the best in this movie. I, that was my favorite moment of this entire movie, was seeing that Henry Winkler was Uncle Adam Smasher. Henry Winkler's done great work on Barry, and so I yeah. actually hoped he would have a much larger role in this. You're just bringing that in. He's not good in this. He's, like, here for three <laughs> seconds. Yeah, he's here for a cameo, and I literally think they just paid him on cameo and then played the video <laughs> that he filmed. Yeah, it does look like that, doesn't it? It does, like... This actor, did he win a Tom Holland like contest? Can you like deliver lines like Tom Holland? Because I really feel like they want to do Tom Holland Spider Man here with him. But he looks exactly like Mark Ruffalo. Like I did it like Mark Ruffalo. If you go look at his early work, same face, same mannerisms. And then we've got Cyclone. Now, this is one I've never heard of. I've actually heard of Adam Smasher, but Cyclone, no. Oh, I've heard of her. She's called Storm, and I hear that she's good at computers and wind. She better be good with legal (laughs) things, too, because this is actionable. No, no, no. I mean, her origins go back before Storm in the comics. So, again, this is all... I'm not even going to get into her backstory because it's crazy. Her whole history, like who she comes from. She is a legacy character from a grandma who wore a pot on her head and long johns in the 40s and fought alongside the Justice Society. But she had nano machines. She was kidnapped by an evil scientist and had nano machines put in her, which gave her wind power as nano machines do. Yeah. So that was kind of a gross, uncomfortable moment in what's otherwise sort of a very cutesy part. Yes. And I do know this actress, she was in the last season of In Treatment. Again, all of these people are like TV stars, which is, you know, they're still actors. They can still do a good job, but it makes them feel small. And I don't know whether we're supposed to be rooting for them as they come in. They look like losers, and they look like they're on the wrong side of the fight by trying to come here and stop Black Adam instead of Endergang. You forgot the most important one, though. The one that jumped from TV to screen, Pierce Brosnan, as Dr. Fate. Yeah, he's the only one of this crew who I knew the actor. You're right, Stuart. These TV actors I didn't know. But Pierce Brosnan was in the trailer. The way the trailer made it look, I thought he was going to be like Black Adam's mentor or something, you know? Here's the weird thing. Again, maybe they don't want to get into these messy politics or they want to try to minimize the people they piss off with this. But both... Hawkman. Hawkman's got probably the most convoluted backstory in comics. I don't know how many times his origin's been retold, but basically he is a reincarnated Egyptian. Like through the years, like he dies and he gets reincarnated and has nth metal. That's actually alien, not an Egyptian thing, but he is an Egyptian character. And Dr. Fate was an archaeologist in a pyramid and found like an old alien and suspended animation who gave him the helmet and trained him how to do stuff like all this magic. So we have two other characters tied to Egypt. And I really thought we we're going to have more of a discussion about colonialism and all of that. But they throw all that aside. No backstories for this Justice Society. You know that they did. I mean, again, you know that someone wrote that script, but this thing has been worked and reworked and changed hands so many times. The fact that it's not here is a choice. It's a choice to say, we tested this, we know how it's going to play, and we're not prepared for this level of hate. I mean, Moon Knight makes one reference to Armenian genocide and got completely flamed. I mean, we know how culture works these days. You avoid difficult subject matter. You can't talk about it because people won't be civil. They will attack the whole franchise, the whole brand. 
I kind of like this Justice Society, though. I mean, as far as it goes, I didn't expect this to be a DC team-up film, but Black Adam hasn't got name recognition, and so... You bring in these people, Dr. Fate and Hawkman were featured prominently in the trailers, at least. If the other two were there, I kind of missed them. But, alright, I'm not excited for Hawkman, I'm more challenging them. What can you do with Hawkman? Can you make Hawkman cool? My thing is, this is your team that's going to take on Black Adam, basically a Superman with lightning powers. You're going to throw wind at him. How is that going to work? They constantly say Carter, Hawkman, is always saying a bad plan is better than no plan at all. (laughs) You got someone that does wind. No plan is better than that. (laughs) It is a very bad plan. I'm glad they can all see that. This is a bad plan. Amanda knows it's a bad plan. They all know it's a bad plan. And again, why would we want to be rooting for them to capture this guy? Because he's not scary. He doesn't look like a threat that needs to be contained. We're not with them. They're wrong. I don't think making Black Adam scary would have been the right choice, nor do I think that was ever on the table as a choice. You want him to eventually end this movie as a character who you will be interested in seeing in the future. Scary is the furthest thing from their mind. No, that's dramatic change. We have to be scared of him and say we need to contain him so that we can then see the transformation about and care about how he got to be there. You have to go from Terminator 1 to Terminator 2 if this is an Arnold. But, I mean, they're jumping into the one where he's playing Pops. I just feel like this is pitched wrong. This is directed wrong. This, the performance is wrong. If you're telling me super violent, dangerous thing that needs to be contained, we should be on the side of the people trying to contain it, and that means making Black Adam threatening. Yeah, my problem with having Pierce Brosnan, a a white European, a dude from England, come in here, not that I think he has these ideas, but that feels like, okay, here comes the colonialist into Egypt, into the Middle East, to push their ways. He even has a centurion helmet. I mean, yes, he definitely represents that symbolically. His power is that. And so if you don't want to get into those really tricky politics, then I agree, Stuart, make Black Adam like just super scary, like make this a horror film then so you're not getting all this weird subtext going on with real world politics. But yeah, it's hard for me to side with the Justice Society because you've told me like this is bad. This is bad to have other nations come in and force their ideas. But most of this, it's worth pointing out, most of this team are people of color. Yes. And I think that's a choice because they're literally going to have the lines about Black Adam being dark and scary, they want to take race off the table of that. So you have Amanda Waller, you have Carter Hall, you have Maxine Hunkel, all people of color. This is not about white people trying to depower a black man. And I haven't seen outrage on Twitter, but they race-swapped Hawkman, right? He was white, or you said Egyptian? Well, he, yeah, it's an Egyptian that gets reincarnated, usually into white people in the comics. What was confusing for me, the first time I ever read or saw Black Adam in the comics is he kind of just looks like a white guy. I'm like, why is he Black Adam? Shouldn't he be black? Like Black Panther and so many others. But I guess it's because the wizard, like when Black Adam turned bad, he used to be the mighty Adam. He's like, no, you're bad. So you're Black Adam now. But I understand this conflict as just a difference in philosophy. One team thinks you stop the bad guys and let the courts deal with them. The other thinks you stop the bad guys and they never stand up again. Honestly, though, I expect Black Adam to rip Hawkman's wings off in seconds and things. This fight is cool and makes me think, wow, Hawkman's awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's a dude with hawk wings and a giant base made of nth metal. Like, way cooler than those hawk people in that Flash Gordon movie. That's what he reminds me of, but mm-hmm. like a cool version. And yeah, I like this fight. I do feel it's weird. Maybe there is not a DCEU any longer because they're like, we don't kill. I'm like, don't you side with Superman? Like, he definitely snapped a dude's neck in a movie. Like, heroes do kill in this DC universe, but I like that they're going to have this debate. And then, yeah, it feels weird, though. Let's have a super violent fight to see if we should be pacifist or not. There we go. That's actually where I land on this. Is like, if your attitude, I mean, we'll have a lot of lip service. The mother is just like, don't teach my son violence and then gets into violent confrontations. I mean, nobody here is for diplomacy. No, no one says let's talk. Like, I was waiting for that. Hawkman, you hate violence. Why do you just pull out your mace and hit the guy then? Why don't you try to talk to him? He doesn't hate violence. He He hates killing. Killing comes from violence. Like, I feel if you start battling someone, there's a good chance, especially if you have metal wings, like, you could kill someone. Just not hard. They do have a scene later on where they try to talk. I mean, right before their second battle, there is the attempt at diplomacy where the Justice Society comes in and it devolves very quickly into more fighting. It just didn't work. But yeah, Hawkman can stand his own. He's got three people backing him up, but I don't think he needed them. Hawkman and Black Adam fight to a standstill each time. I don't know what Cyclone is doing. Green Tornadoes. Yeah, kind of a cool visual, like with her green and blue outfit turning into this green tornado. And again, they'll do the slow-mo and she's throwing spikes or something. She takes the scaffolding and tears it apart to then throw the bars around him like that's going to hold him as a prison. But they don't know him yet. They're, especially her, they're testing his strength. They're, she's trying yeah, I don't know that she accomplishes anything, and the uh, the big guy equally so. He's running, you know. They make they play it off as goofy. He's running in the wrong direction. He's Tom Holland Spider Man. That's why. Yeah, he gets him under his palm for a minute, but yeah, in the end, he gets knocked out. I don't think he does anything of value in this movie. He captures the statue when it's falling over and prevents it from crushing the kid. Actually, Black Adam does that first, and then he hands it off to this guy. These supporting characters really aren't utilized, is what I'm landing on. They're not, you can like them or not, they feel right for a TV show, they don't feel big screen ready, and they don't accomplish anything in this story. Well, yeah, as I'm watching this, my note was, this is probably the best CW DC show. Like, I felt like, yeah, this is a very high production, a a Rings of Power style DC TV show. Like, I don't know if it needs to be on the big screen because I'm getting those CW vibes. I'm liking the interplay with the Justice Society. I think that Adam Smasher and Cyclone have good chemistry. I think that Pierce Brosnan doesn't really fit in with these younger people, but I kind of like what he's doing, and it makes the film a little bit more fun for me to have this group in it, even though, yeah, I realize that Cyclone and Adam Smasher could have stayed home, Hawkman does pretty much everything on his own. Dr. Fate is pretty useless in fights against Black Adam. What are you talking about? He's got the mirror dimension from Dr. Strange. Yeah, he does feel like Dr. Strange. But he came before Dr. Strange, though. I just want to call that out in the comics. I'm not saying that he did. Look, I'm not here to get in some ring battle with Marvel and DC fans. You guys go continue your fight all you want. I saw Dr. Strange years before I saw this. And the problem is, for someone that doesn't know comic book lore, this feels like a copycat. 
And this movie doesn't feel like it has a whole lot of innovation to it. It doesn't feel bad. I agree. The actors are warm enough. The fight scenes are choreographed well enough. The visuals are spectacular. But it's not particularly exciting. And the been there, done that, what are we now? At least 15 years into heavily watching superhero universes unfold. This doesn't have a whole lot of new. I agree. I mean, I don't know how you make it new at this point. Oh, I think there's lots of ways. Werewolf by Night certainly did something new. Again, if you truly had a Terminator superhero that had, like, killing in his heart, that would feel new to me. The problem is, that's not even new. I guess you're just not watching The Boys on Amazon because I'm not. they have a whole, like, three or four seasons now of superheroes being awful monsters. Yep, and also the animated series Invincible, and I mean, they even did that with Wolverine in the Logan movie, and that was, what, six years ago now? He was a Logan to us, though. We were on his side. Again, the only one that I can reference is that James Gunn movie where they had the Omen and Superman and one creature. Brightburn. I mean, I didn't like the movie, but I think bringing a Brightburn into an established superhero realm would make this feel new. It would be new for DC. It would help me understand some of the motivations of what these characters are doing. Because otherwise, they just look foolish trying to ask Black Adam to surrender. Meanwhile, the real bad guy is shooting Karim and getting the crown and, and grabbing the kid and all of that. And yeah, Ishmael has captured... Amon, and this is kind of a fun scene because the Justice Society, they're going to fight Black Adam, then team up with Black Adam, then fight Black Adam, then team up with Black Adam. And here, they're teaming up. It reminds me of the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where Marion is in a basket and Indiana Jones has to knock people's laundry over and things to find which one has Marion. Only it's Black Adam chasing these speeder bikes and ripping open their trunks to try to find which one has Amon. Yeah, I'd like the bikes. I think, again, I have no problem with the actual fights. I think they're choreographed well. I think this is a good-looking movie. I don't, like you, Arnie, I, I don't like the fact that they're teaming up with Black Adam and then turning on him. That feels typical. That feels like a Marvel movie, but it's expected, I guess. They didn't hire The Rock to be something people didn't want a doll of. But my question is, I mean, it's even brought up, Amon is the fanboy. He spent several scenes gushing over this guy, wanting him to be the hero, baiting him, even you know, holding up his hands in that stone hand signature thing. He says, you could be on lunchboxes, you could be on video games. Uh, again, you've got a real problem here of having the cuddliest, most popular movie star in the entire world running away from his power and being something that you are afraid to give a kid. And you mentioned Pierce Brosnan. He's okay. I feel like his fate is obvious. You know, he has this ability to look into the future. He sees two possible scenarios. That Ishmael is going to get the crown, become a demon, and bring hell on Earth. Or they'll stop it, but it means Hawkman will die. And that's really painful to him because... Somewhere it's established that he and the Hawkman are besties, but that really doesn't come through in the movie. It's just lines of dialogue. Could it be because they have ties to Egypt? Who knows? 
Now, I like that you shared that, but I mean, again, if you're building extended universes, it would have been nice to have these characters introduced working together in another movie. But I do feel like they give a lot away, maybe because we just know the language is cinema, but when Dr. Fate's talking about one of us is going to die, I'm like, okay, it's going to be him. It's not going to be Hawkman. So obvious. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. Some of it is the fact that we've seen 200 superhero movies. For an audience member that's only seen 10, maybe there's surprise here. No, Hawkman was too badass to kill here. You really like Hawkman. <laughs> I, I do. It turned me around. It sounds like you don't like Hawkman, and then this movie changed your mind. He didn't know who Hawkman was before this. Just from Justice League, I mean, the early cartoons, Super Friends, I knew Hawkman, and yeah, he was from Flash Gordon, and here, Hawkman's badass. You don't kill that. I don't think you could. So, yeah, I figured Dr. Fate was going to be the one fated to die, but first, we've got to turn the movie around. We've finally got Ishmael. He finally has Amon. And this is going to lead Adriana, who was stealing the crown so it could be hidden so far away because it was so dangerous. And she's going to lecture all the superheroes, take the crown, and trade it for the boy. And not a single superhero is going to stand in the way of a pissed off mother. Okay, here's what I thought was going on, because this is where they're like, well, we're really going to do this plan, a bad plan's better than no plan. I thought this was all a ruse, because there's a shield of Eternium between Ishmael and, and these heroes, so I thought this was some kind of weird ruse, like the way Hawkman's like, no, don't do it. I thought this was their plan to kill Ishmael, but then he has like a key fob that turns out, I, it makes sense later on when I realize like what Ishmael's plan was, but this scene is very confusing. Agreed. I, I'm not sure I even understand it now. It's Hawkman that thinks this is a bad idea. You give the crown to Ishmael, he's going to bring hell on earth. A child's life is not worth that. But the mom, because it's her child, she gets the final call and some lip service is said by Black Adam, Teth Adam, I guess at this point, saying, not your country, not your choice. So Hawkman's frozen out of this, and it's Black Adam that allows this deal to go, but then he's surprised. Again, he was there when the old man was rewarded for bringing the blue rock with a getting speared. It shouldn't be a surprise that Ishmael is going to fire a gun at the boy, but he's triggered and jumps in front of the bullet. Yeah, there's this whole thing. The crown says life is the only path to death, so the way I'm reading this at this point is like, okay, Okay, he's got to kill someone, but he says the line's backwards. We're going to find out. And the underworld is like a mirror universe and everything's backwards. Is that what they were saying? I couldn't figure that out. The crown actually meant death is the way to life. They say the crown is upside down. So I guess whatever language it's written in is exactly the same <laughs> if you turn wow. it over. Yeah, so... Ishmael had to die, so he was going to kill the son here, so Black Adam, that's why he has the key fob, to turn off the shield. Oh, it was his shield. Yes, it was his shield. Okay, I couldn't even figure that part out. I couldn't figure out who had the shield. It's a very confusing scene. I thought Black Adam had put up the shield so Hawkman wouldn't intervene. No, 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 that was Ishmael's shield. All right, okay, you're helping me out. Okay, so that was a shield to make it so that no one could stop him from shooting the kid, but he doesn't want the kid to die because he secretly knows he has to be the one to die in order to come back as Serac. Correct. Does he have to die by Black Adam's lightning, or could he just die any different way and he chooses 
Black Adam to be the one to do it. He could have just shot himself, right? It's unclear. I get what they're going for. I do think it's helpful to have twists later on that what you thought was the opposite. I'm not in love with these particular twists. We've had twists going throughout this because we keep getting told, oh, that origin, that 15 minutes of origin story at the beginning isn't true. And they've, they've slowly been shedding the truth of Black Adam's origins throughout the film. Well, this is that moment. This is where the big thing happens because they've killed Ishmael, or so they think. He is melted down to his skeleton. The crown is like almost like stuck to his body. It's melted to his bones. And so, wow, all right, it's over. And... What I didn't realize, but Arnie's plot summary helped me get, was the idea that Black Adam is having a whole lot of shame because in order to save that boy, he had to kill. And he actually doesn't like killing. He will have a speech later where he talks about, you know, it's a curse to have these powers because you can't save lives, you can only take them. Well, I don't even think he doesn't like killing. It's the fact that he lost his wife and son, who was the real hero, even though he had these, well, he lost his wife before he had the powers, then his son gave him the Shazam powers, and then his son dies. Like, he couldn't even save his loved ones with all these powers. I think that's his conflict, is those who really mattered to him, the powers were useless. I did not pick up, again, Arnie's plot summary helps, I did not pick up that he had been mortally wounded. And that the son gave him the powers. Yeah, that that's a whole flashback. Well, no, I know. I watched the movie, but it, it's processing <laughs> this. It's going by really fast. The child was whipped away from the executioner, turned into a Shazam, but he was wearing a white toga. And he has like a like a pimpish gold lightning bolt from a chain. He didn't even have like a shirt on, right? Or at least when the... Yeah, yeah. It's just like a chain. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm looking cool here. And so he could have been the good Shazam, except he comes back. I know they, again, they obscure some of this because they don't want to show a mother being killed. But they show us that the wife is being dragged away and that, yes, the rock has been morphed into a skinny guy. He's the father, and he was hurt? Yeah. yeah. They thought they had killed the mother and him, but he was still alive. He was just kind of lying there. I didn't see blood, but maybe there wasn't blood to see. No, I didn't see any either, but they're saying goodbye. Okay. I took it that they took his wife away, but they're, you're saying he was also wounded, but they were too dumb to check his pulse. Yeah. I mean, okay. it was 2600 BCE, like, they probably didn't <laughs> right. know about pulses. Uh, maybe not. Anyway, for reasons that are altruistic, good Shazam gives his Shazam powers to dying dad because that will save his life. That's not a power I thought Black Adam had, but all right. Well, we saw in Shazam that you can hand your power around. Sure, but I didn't see that the power heals. And in fact, Black Adam is tortured by the fact that his power can't bring his son back to life when arrows fly into the scene and kill him. Yeah, I think it's only because if you turn into Shazam, you're invulnerable, so it would heal you. And if he could have passed the power back, if the boy could have spoken the word Shazam. I mean, the son's dying in his arms. He could say Shazam real fast. The boy has to say it too, and the boy can't speak. I, when I watched it the second time, I was paying real close attention to that scene. I don't doubt there are rules here. I'm just saying they weren't clear to me as the scene unfolded in one viewing. And it's not really good. This twist does not land in a 
powerful, oh, kind of way that you want it to. I like what they're going for here. This family thing. It does feel like, you know, in this age of OK Boomer, it does feel like here is this young son who actually is a hero trying to make his dad, who's this murderous Black Adam, like trying to make him. This is his story about an old person trying to redeem themselves and change their ways. I like these ideas, but agree, Stuart, like they are not executed great at times or even good at times. It's confusing. Yeah. You have an all is lost moment, always, that where the point where it doesn't look like the hero can win, he's defeated, he gives up, and this is that moment. The Rock is going to allow himself to be taken prisoner. He doesn't see after having killed everyone, except the boy. I mean, again, he can never, like, <laughs> I would be grateful that I had saved a child's life. He's looking at it as I'm a killer and I need to be punished. And so they hand him off to some blonde that I don't remember from any other DC movie, but apparently she's on Peacemaker. She was in Suicide Squad briefly at the very end. This is James Gunn's wife, and she only works in James Gunn films. <laughs> other than we did review her in House of the Dead 2. Mm. <laughs> before she knew James Gunn. Mm. She was in Brightburn, and she was in The Suicide Squad at the end to become one of Peacemaker's handlers. And so okay. she was on the Peacemaker TV show and a major role there. And so, yes, since you're not going to get Viola Davis to do more than FaceTime in this movie, <laughs> you bring in Jennifer Holland as that face of... I can't remember the organization that Viola Davis runs, but that organization. Yeah, Task Force X is the real name of the Suicide Squad. That's the actual organization. Yeah, and this, so this is an interesting idea. Again, Guantanamo Bay, the idea... This sounds awful. When he's taken on a stretcher and thrown into like a water tube with a, you know, like a breathing apparatus in his mouth so he can't ever say the word Shazam again. I don't know if he's conscious or not, but... We do see a whole room full of people, and it really reminds you that in trying to keep the peace, that we have put a lot of people away of questionable morality. Yeah, it's a real minority report situation. Like, do they keep them alive forever? This feels crueler than, like, oh, this whole debate, should you just kill your enemies? Like, I don't know. Like, just kill them. Like, that seems more humane than this. I think that's the point. I think we're supposed to see that their mercy isn't so merciful the word Dr. Fate uses is suspended animation, which makes me think this is eternal. Yeah. But yet, what they seem to do is just subdue them, put them to sleep, intubate them so that you can allow them to breathe, and I guess they don't starve to death because it's suspended animation. Yeah, and, you know, to find the real-world equivalency, Guantanamo Bay is still open. Like, these places have never been shut, so... All of these people that we arrested in the aftermath of 9-11, some innocent, some not, never were determined, and they didn't have their day in court. We aren't living up to our ideals about freedom and, and justice. That's a subtle criticism that comes through ever so slightly when we get this pullback shot of all of those people in all those tubes. Yeah. Again, feels like it should have been a bigger part of the conversation of this film, mm -hmm. but they pull away from all of that. Yeah. And we pull back to the idea that, yes, this, I really didn't follow this, but you're telling me the writing was backwards. And so in death, now Ishmael can be turned into a demon. This is what he wanted. Yeah, because he goes to hell and becomes Hellboy, basically. Like, yeah. he needed to die so he could go to hell and make this bargain, I guess, with 
I don't know if it's Sabak or not. He becomes Sabak, but he makes some devilish deal and comes back as literally the devil, like red horns, everything. Pentagram instead of an ass on his chest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where it really looks like TV. Like this job is not great with Sabak. I thought he looked okay. I didn't think hell looked great, but it was I mean, a it's whole better than lot Spawn, better than Spawn. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> Yeah, we've seen thinking. worse versions of a hellish dimension. I kind of like the zombies. They don't do anything with it, but like... Yeah, the deadites that show up at the end. <laughs> yeah, he's bringing people back from the dead, and that's supposed to be giving all the supporting characters things to do. All of Kandak's supposed to come together to fight them. Like, this is their people rising up to overthrow their oppressor moment. Yes, Amon makes that hand gesture again and inspires the people of Kandak to go fight skeletons. Because they're so nervous about putting a child in a violent situation. They made light of it. They've been sarcastic about teaching him violence. Where they land on this is, well, all he did was go get an angry mob. He didn't lead the angry mob. He isn't killing the zombies. His mom is, who didn't want him to learn about the violence of killing yet. And this is where Dr. Fate meets his fate. Again, we've seen, I think we've seen every effect he does in Doctor Strange or Avengers mm -hmm. movies, like multiple Dr. Fates, these mirror dimension effects. I like this stuff, though. Like, I like the idea of a sorcerer superhero. And even though this one feels like a copy at this point of another Marvel one, I'm enjoying this fight as Dr. Fate takes on Sabacc. I think Pierce Brosnan has more natural charm than Benedict Cumberbatch. I agree completely. I like Pierce Brosnan in almost everything he does. You thought he was a good Bond? Oh, yeah. I go back to that series. I really liked him as Bond. I mean, Goldeneye's good. <laughs> yeah, I like Goldeneye. Here... Again, when I watched the movie the second time, when they introduced Dr. Fate, what Carter says is, he's basically a god. And I'm like, he dies pretty easy for a god, but okay, it's a self-sacrifice moment. Yeah, he's supposed to be immortal, right? The crown gives you immortality. That was what I heard. And then all it really takes is for this long-ass float-up of Black Adam. Somehow, Pierce Brosnan mentally is able to get him out of the tube. Yeah, uh, he projects himself. I mean, he can create copies of himself. They set that up earlier. I mean, it's lame. Come on, you can say that all you want. That's really lame. But yeah, all right. So a, a phantom version of himself ran around and opened the door. And now the rock is dreaming and floating. But all he really has to do is get to the surface and rip this creature in half. That's it. I think maybe he drowns. Because he does see his wife and son again, and the son, we get this cliched moment, Deadpool 2 did it, it's not your time. And so then he wakes back up, and while dying of asphyxiation, I guess, he's able <laughs> to mutter Shazam and become Black Adam again. Yeah. And even Hawkman is like, go beat his ass. You know, like any idea. I, again, you spend all this energy to put him away. And now that you're happy that he's out, all of this, <laughs> all of these conflicts are so rewritten. It's so clear what they were trying to do with these characters has been compromised to the point of absurdity. And because this is the cool, edgy Superman, he's not just going to break a neck because Superman's already a killer in this universe. Get over that! He did it once! I know, Jacob. You really just will never forgive them. It's awful. <laughs> it was one time, and it's the moment that he learned not to kill, okay? And they processed that multiple movies since then. I feel like, if anything, I'm done with that conflict. We all know superheroes kill. They don't, though. That is the thing. Like, Marvel, they do. 
But DC was has always been different. And that's, I mean, that we've had this debate before. And I hear where what side you are on very clearly. I, just for the record, am ambivalent towards this whole debate. Yeah. When you have all the power in the world, killing, like, that seems like a failure to me. There's other ways to go about it. That's the point of having superpowers. But no, we're just going to rip a demon in half. I mean, sometimes you just got to beat a ass. And that's what Hawkman <laughs> comes to. And that's what they do. And so, again, it feels very easy. The wrap up is kind of like, oh, it's it's over. They make a big deal here. I have to believe that this is a thing in the comic books, that he sits on a throne. They make such a big deal about Black Adam not sitting on the throne. That was like a whole cover to like <laughs> one of those issues of 52 where, yeah, it's him sitting on the throne of Kandak. And I mean, in that series, like he kills like all of Inner Gang and takes over the city and rules it, tries to be benevolent and all that. Oh, so this is a rejection of that. Again, they're going soft. DC, if you thought that this was the hard edge movie, Black Adam, as soon as he's coming to his own, is saying, nope, I am not going to be a tyrant. I'm not going to be a ruler. I'm not going to kill anymore. How is he going to get inner gang out of there without killing? Like, it's still infiltrated. Why would Amanda Waller worry about this guy? She worries if he ever leaves Kandak. Like, that's Why? The- He's not a killer. He's not a killer. He's not a threat. She is creating problems by bringing Superman in there. Well, you, you see that smirk that the Rock gives her. Like, he plans on leaving. He's not just going to stay in this town. Like, And he's like, yeah, bring it. I was shocked. Like, I didn't know that we we're going to get this cameo here. I thought... Cavill was done or Warner Brothers was done with him. So yeah, the fact that he shows up here, I wasn't even sure if it was, I'm like, did they CGI him? Is this a mustache job all over again? This was a joke earlier when the rock woke up in the kid's room, he zapped the wall and he burnt the face off the Superman poster. I actually predicted this. I had heard the few things I had heard about black Adam was the rock bragging. He was going to, it was during that dog movie. (laughs) How, like, he and Superman are going to have a throwdown. Like, this was going to be a thing. I was expecting this. I don't think that dog movie's canon, though. The Rock wanted you to know this, unfortunately. He's the one who fought for it. He's the one who... I mentioned earlier that Hamada, and he went to Hamada and said, I want Henry Cavill to cameo here because I want a Black Adam versus Superman movie. And Hamada said, no, we're done with Cavill. And so then (laughs) The Rock went to Hamada's bosses at Warner Brothers and said, I want Cavill. And the bosses at Warner Brothers said, yeah, okay, go ahead. (laughs) This was just filmed in September. And on social media and in interviews, The Rock's like, you need to stay for a super end credit scene. It's like, way to spoil it. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) No, I thought I had heard all of this before. And it's worth pointing out, Henry Cavill is in a shiny, sparkly blue suit. No more darkness, no more chest hair poking out. Like, (laughs) he's the good guy. And we're supposed to believe that Black Adam is the bad guy. And the John Williams score is playing. Mm-hmm. Right, yes. They're trying to undo, they're unsnidering him. And I guess you can say since he died and came back, he's a new guy. But it really feels like, yeah, this is supposed to be Batman v Superman part two. We're supposed to look forward to this sequel as some kind of amazing good versus bad throwdown. Whereas what I would want to see is if this guy's a Shazam, then I think we'd be looking forward to Shazam versus Shazam, except Zachary Levi is way too goofy to go up against (laughs) this Black Adam, right? I mean, I can't imagine those two existing in the same movie. 
Indeed, they showed the trailer for that new Shazam movie, and it seemed like every joke was how he felt unqualified to be in the universe. But is this movie unqualified to be in the universe? Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend Black Adam? Jacob. I mean, if that's the question, have you seen this DCE universe? Like, (laughs) does that deserve to be around? This is the 11th movie. This film is very clumsy. It's not great. It's good at times. Like, here's my dilemma. I was entertained. This film, not good. Drops the ball with all its politics and commentary that it wants to riff on. Some of these costumes or characters like Cyclone are just ridiculous. But yeah, I'm kind of enjoying the fight scenes. I like that there's speeder bikes, that it's got this sci-fi feel. This is not a good film. It's a junk movie. Yeah, Yeah. it's not a successful film talking about colonialism while having superheroes. If you want to see a great film about that, go see RRR, Rise, Roar, Revolt, the Indian phenomena that's streaming on Netflix, because that is about people overthrowing colonialism, and they do kind of become superheroes, and it's about mythology and all that. Like this, yeah, the junk version. But I was entertained, and I don't I don't know where you guys are going. I have to go first, so I don't know how many reds there. I don't want it three red arrows. Like, yeah, if it's a Saturday afternoon and it's on TV and you have nothing else to do, watch it. It's entertaining enough. It Like, it's fine. It's not innovative. It's not hilarious. Like, it's got some decent action. It's got some visual flair to it. I was not bored. If I had to watch this again, I wouldn't mind. But it is not a great film. It it is not a must-see right now. You don't have to go this weekend. But the most ambivalent and weakest of Green Arrows for Black Adam. Stuart. To paraphrase The Rock himself, their movie magic is weak, (laughs) but it is not completely depleted. And I think I'm kind of exactly where Jacob is. The thing that I found watching the movie is it is junk. It is a junky movie. But guess what? That used to be what the genre was. Yes. If this movie were made in the late 90s, it would be easy for me to recommend this. I would say, look at the spectacle, go along for the ride, but... We've had so many other movies that the bar has been set really high. And what I'm hearing you guys say is maybe it's too high. Maybe it's too hard to do anything new in this genre anymore. And the best we can hope for is pale imitations that have a few good laughs. If you're not Christopher Nolan, like, yes, if Christopher Nolan made Black Adam, like, it would have had some really dark commentary, like The Dark Knight. But, yeah, if you're just going to make a popcorn film, yeah, this is as good as it could get right now, maybe? <laughs> and I don't think it needs to be embarrassed about being popcorn. I mean, I really don't think every movie has to make a grand statement. If it were a great popcorn movie, it would be easy for me to go, you know what? Green Arrow. But my struggle is, it's a really good-looking universe It's a really cool location. There are some fight scenes that are impressive, but it's really hollow. And I really don't care. The apathy is really high on this one. I don't care about anything. And I don't know. It's really hard to endorse something where you don't give a shit. And so while I don't hate it, I don't want to condemn it. When I get into these situations, I always ask myself, what was good about the movie? And the answer is not enough. It's not good enough to recommend. It's not bad enough to hate either. So you'll have to decide for yourself whether watching mediocrity is something you have an appetite for 200 movies into a superhero phenomenon. But I'm going to go week not recommend. Can I take Jacob's recommend and just say ditto? He and I saw the exact same movie here. I mean, and this is what I was thinking is similar to what he said is not 
every superhero movie can innovate. Not every movie, when you have this many coming out, are going to break new ground, are going to really challenge an audience. I have a feeling we may get some of that with Wakanda Forever, mostly out of lack of options with that film, that they have to do something wildly different. But sometimes you just want a superhero movie to have a good beatdown. The story is acceptable. The Rock is setting his charisma level at 50%. He's not great. He's not bad. Were it not The Rock, this character might be truly ruinous. We may not like him at all if we had... I mean, if this is John Cena, I don't want it. Oh, yeah. No. no absolutely not. So, he is a decent Black Adam... And this is a decent enough film. I did go back to see it a second time to validate what I was feeling the first time. The first time I watched it, I was like, it's a little bit too long. It has moments of incredible slowness with whenever they're going to start talking about 3000 BC. <laughs> it's really, really slow. But the action in here is first rate. The villain is on par with most superhero movie villains, which is to say bad. Yeah, I was about to say, you've given Wonder Woman hell for having the same villain. Yeah, I am saying this is bad, but at least it's in line with the movie they made, which I didn't feel Wonder Woman was. I had a fun time watching it a lot more because of Hawkman than I would have ever expected. <laughs> you really like Hawkman? Yeah, it's coming down to Hawkman for you. I see this. You're buying a Hawkman statue, aren't you? <laughs> I am not buying a Hawkman statue. The wings are probably be way too much space for my house. But I'm eking it over the line to a weak recommend. Yeah, it's a fine enough movie. The problem is, I think we would all be screaming this movie's praises in 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not 2008 anymore. I don't know about screaming, but I would have given a green. <laughs> I, that's exactly my review, is that what used to be acceptable, and I, we could all recognize this, what used to work in the horror genre in the 1930s doesn't scare us today. You know, like, it's just, you do have to innovate. It's a part of continuing tropes and tradition when you bring back old ideas and you, and you do the old thing again you have to find something in it that makes it worth retelling in a way that's going to connect with modern audiences and i don't think there's a whole lot here that's going to feel fresh it might feel acceptable i hear you guys saying you had a good enough time with the beatdown, but it's just not rememberable i mean I, I doubt any of us will be able to recall anything about this movie in two years I agree with everything you're saying, Stuart. We're just asked to give this a recommend or not. and Yeah, I almost did. I mean, I considered it because, like I said, there would have been an, a more generous time where the bar was low. Before the MCU, I would have said, hell yeah, it's better than most superhero movies. I mean, it's pretty good for a DC movie. Like, there's Shazam, there's Wonder Woman... I don't know, than this? I'm, I'm trying to think what else there is. I mean, I like Man of Steel more than this. I like Justice League more than this. Ooh, I, okay, oh, you're going to places no, I cannot yeah, go. No. I know, for some reason, you guys super hate that. Because um, it's bad. I know some <laughs> of the reasons, yeah. I mean, again, this is bad. We're Don't tell me this is good. You're not telling me this is good. You're saying, I like this trash better than that trash. And that's, that's kind of picking nits, you know? It's hard to know. But I think it's kind of there. It's kind of in that swampy area without the pretensions of Zack Snyder, of the Zack Snyder contributions. It's better than Aquaman. 
Oh, yeah. That's the other thing is this DCEU is not done despite what was trying to be done. We're going to be back with it. There's still Flash and Aquaman coming next year. Can't believe we're going to get that Flash movie. (laughs) And another Shazam, which I I thought they would tie in. I stayed to the end credits because I was sure that we would see Zachary Levy pop in and do a bit, but he does not. Oh, but we're going to Marvel next week. It's Halloween, and Disney Plus has put out a Marvel horror special. I got to see this. Werewolf by Night. Yeah, I've seen it. Looking forward to watching it again and putting on more critical glasses. Because when I watched it the first time, I can't say I was paying full attention. But Black and White, directed by... A composer. Yeah, Michael Giacchino. So... We're definitely going to have stuff to talk about next week on our free show. Meanwhile, this Friday on our donation feed, we're finishing off our silver level with the sixth and final Adams Family movie, The Adams Family 2, the second of the animated ones. The sixth Adams Family called Adams Family 2. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. It's had a lot of reincarnations, but yeah, the animated movies have been the latest and arguably maybe the most popular i do think it's the one the kids are gonna want to go to more than well tim curry or the tv series we'll see how it wraps up yes so you can support now playing help us keep doing these shows we do every single friday by being a patron or a donor and getting that show before we start with our platinum level and the wicker man in a few weeks so thank you for your support thank you for listening to now playing Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me, and until next time, justice has been served. My powers are not a gift, but a curse. Born out of rage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there? You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah, I, I need friends. And in the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. This may be the only thing I do with the matters. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my cake. 
You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. We need you, and maybe you need us. Support from listeners like you. Help keep Now Playing operating. It'd be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. And you can join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. You got your money's worth. Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. Everything in your psychological profile tells me you have what it takes to be a leader. Associate produced by Jason Latham. It is the burden of this responsibility that will define you and who you choose to be. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Sorry, the voices. I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. Now playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Today is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Oh, wow, they just, they really just vanish. Huh? Oh, that's rude. Better than Billy Batson from Shazam. Yeah, I was going to say Billy Bathgate, but that's somebody else, Batson, isn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a movie. Pro- yeah. yeah. <laughs>